Shut up and sit down. Listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast, bringing you this podcast. Well, the dust from the NFL draft has settled. We'll take a look at some of the picks and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 26 of The Bridge. <laughs> Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome to another installment of The Bridge. Though the NBA playoffs and NHL playoffs are in full swing, the MLB season is, of course, just gaining steam. We're going to be talking about what else? The National Football League. It just never seems to go away. It's always there and it always has interest and there's always storylines for us to chat about. Not to say that this particular storyline isn't something worth chatting about because the NFL draft happened over the weekend, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. A long, drown-out affair. Would we have it any other way with the NFL? Thursday night, of course, is the first round. It's an all-day buildup of potential excitement, anxiety for fans, for teams. Every pick is looked at under a microscope. Then Friday happens with three rounds, three more rounds on Saturday. People start losing their interest a little bit if you're not a diehard fan about it or you just want to carry on living your life over the weekend. Things went according to plan as far as the first two picks of the draft were concerned. We had a feeling we were going to get two quarterbacks, and we did. One to the Los Angeles Rams, the other to the Philadelphia Eagles. What we didn't expect was the drama and the chaos that ensued because of some social media posts that were directed at one particular player that had both his Twitter and his Instagram hacked. Hopefully his MySpace account was okay because you don't want people missing with your top eight. Because of that, the gentleman in question, Laramie Tunsil, who came into the draft, an offensive tackle from Ole Miss, highly regarded as a potential first pick of the draft, a top five pick of the draft. People really think he can make an incredible impact in the NFL. Unfortunately for him, a video was released from his collegiate days at Ole Miss in what appears to be a dormitory room. A man wearing a gas mask, smoking weed through that gas mask, and then taking the mask off once he's done with his drag to reveal that it is indeed Laramie Tunzel. Couldn't have happened at a worse time. It was minutes before the draft started. And once word started going around to the different owners and the different personnel of the teams... crickets. Nobody knew what to do. Utter chaos, trying to figure out if they were going to take him where they thought he might be. And unfortunately for Mr. Tunsil, he ends up dropping down to the 12th pick to the Miami Dolphins, and he ends up losing several millions of dollars just because he was not picked in the top five or the top 10. 
and now we'll get the money based on being drafted at 12. Not that that's something to put your nose up at, but still. There was also an Instagram post release that allegedly was from him to another assistant coach saying that he needed some money to help his mother pay the bills. And in an interview after the draft, he basically admitted to, yes, he did smoke the weed. Yes, he did take money from the school. So everybody's minds were blown. And he just kept being honest with all the questions, which put a red flag up for a lot of people. Isn't that what we want from our athletes? The honesty, not talking in cliches, taking responsibility for whatever decisions were made. But when athletes do do that, they tend to paint a picture of themselves that not many people like, especially the NCAA. A lot of alarms started going off once they were hearing what he had to say, especially regarding possibly taking money as an NCAA athlete. We all know that is a big no-no. So that situation took away from what should have been a great day for not only Laramie Tunzel, but the quarterbacks taken as the number one and number two pick in Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. The big storyline was of that, and the storyline the following day centered around two players with injuries that have question marks as far as their NFL career was concerned. One was taken with Dallas's second pick in Jalen Smith from Notre Dame, who because of the injury he suffered last season will probably not play a down in 2016-2017, and in Miles Jack, who we heard on Thursday had an injury to his knee that would probably require eventual surgery. But then, of course, the following day, we hear that he doesn't need surgery from Dr. James Andrews, which is pretty unfortunate considering Jack was forthright, honest, like we just talked about. Not good. We don't want that. He potentially cost himself getting drafted in the first round. We know the money that goes along with it. He did go in the second round to the Jaguars, but still not the best of scenarios for him losing out on potentially millions of dollars. I told you last week I was going to have a lot of fun with these sound effects. I'm still working on getting them all lined up to where I know where they are on this soundboard, but we'll get there. You just wait. But as you probably realized by now, there were more than just those specific picks in the NFL draft. Seven rounds, a lot of stuff went on. There's, of course, a bright light shined on the first round of the draft based on the potential that the teams hope they will get from those players. And this week, we're speaking with someone that could help us understand what that potential might be and what we can expect from some of those players next year in the National Football League. That gentleman is Matt Waldman. He is the creator of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. The Rookie Scouting Portfolio is incredible. It's comprehensive. It basically goes through everything you would want as far as the analysis for the players in the draft. 
it goes over all the skill position players. And by reading it, you're basically going to know more about those players than you might even know about your significant other. He's also got a great pulse on fantasy football, which is something we'll discuss a little bit at the end of our talk. But Matt was nice enough to come on to the show, and I've attached in my show notes how you can find his rookie scouting portfolio and some of the different ways you can follow his work to keep your thirst quenched until the 2016 NFL season kicks off in the fall. He had some great insight on several players that were drafted and some of the things we could look forward to in the upcoming NFL season. And without further ado, we'll turn it over to him. So we're talking with Matt Waldman. He is the creator of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. He is also a staff writer for footballguys.com, among a myriad of other things. How are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing well, John. How about yourself? I am doing great. I know you're probably still recovering a little bit from the excitement of the NFL draft, but I would be remiss if I didn't start things off by recognizing a little bit of your work. Just to give some of the listeners some background of your football knowledge, you've been putting together the rookie scouting portfolio for probably more than a decade now, and as it's been deemed, it's one of the most comprehensive publications of NFL prospect analysis at the skill positions that there really is out there. What inspired you to start putting this together, and what are some of the things people will find inside? Sure. Um, I was a... You know, I was an avid fantasy football player. I was a part-time writer who did a lot of work for, you know, copywriting. I did some, you know, different types of a variety of writing, you know, journalism, copywriting, some creative writing for, on commission for, with different places. And, you know, I was a big fantasy football nut and always been a football fan. And at the same time, I was... I was uh, an assistant director at a larger company that did a lot of work with operations and quality processes, and I had learned a, a kind of a method for evaluating employee performance on a day-to-day basis that was best practices, grounded in best practices. Right. And, you know, so as I'm watching, you know, as I'm, I'm kind of studying players who were entering the draft as a fantasy owner, I just kind of, it just kind of dawned on me that I could use a lot of this information that I had learned in my job to apply to evaluating prospects. And so I thought, why not just give this a try? Like just for a, just one time, I, let me see if I can put something together and see what it looks like and what the process would be like. Right. And so I did that and I, you know, I kind of cooped myself up into a hotel room over the course of a week, like to get away from my family and just kind of devote to, you know, basically doing all nighters of watching film for about seven days. And I thought either I was going to absolutely hate football by the time this was all over with, (laughs) or I was going to think that this was worthwhile. And it ended up being just a lot of fun. I enjoyed it so much that I thought, yeah, I got to do this, or at least give this a try for like, another five to seven years and see if this is something that I can grow into a business. And that's what's happened. Um, so it's, you know, it was really from more of a fantasy angle that I thought would help people, but I found that it really helped me develop an eye for the game because these best practices are what you'll find in there are that I, I've created reports where I've tracked everything that I see play by play. Um, everything's defined. You know, when people think of analytics, they think of stats like, touchdowns and yards and completions and things like that. Sure. But, you know, but really, John, the, 
you know, um, there's a guy on Twitter right now who's an engineer-based um, trained guy who does a lot of stats and does a lot of work, um, known by the name of Hawkeye Game Film on Twitter, who is a really good follow. And, you know, and he talks about how the scouting really, one of the big mistakes is not understanding what data to collect. And some of that data to collect is things like, how do you define the root processes or the root issues that, that develop good processes and good habits that then eventually lead to those statistical results? Sure. And that's what I define. So I define everything that I look at. I have it graded on the checklist. Um, so you see the checklist. You see how I define all my criteria. And then also I provide rankings at the end of that. Um, and I rank players in two different ways. One's by breadth of talent, another's by depth of talent. And what you get is a 300-page draft guide on a PDF that's you know that's easy to look at. It's all bookmarked for you, and it gives you kind of a magazine style of things. But then I show you all that work that I did and define everything in a glossary. So it ends up being an extra 1,100 pages for those who are unbelievably diehard and want to look at all that stuff. Those who are just the casual reader will find that it's still easy to navigate because they're looking at only probably like, you know, 250, 300 pages of it, and it reads like a, a larger magazine. And then for the same price, what they get is later in the draft, after the draft, I come out with an update a week, no more than a week after the draft that gives them a fantasy cheat sheet that's re-ranked based on where they landed and how I would adjust that based on early opportunities and their depth charts that they're going to be competing against and the analysis of that, as well as where I think there's good fits and bad fits. And then I even do average draft position analysis with fantasy leagues that are drafting this week so that they can see where my values differ from the values of where people are picking them, which helps them identify where they can get bargains and where they're going to have to pay more than what the players are worth. So that's really what you get with um, with the RSP. Definitely a decent read for football fans. There's no question about that. Just casual <laughs> fans watching the games and, of course, fantasy football pretty much taking over the world. It's a great, useful tool for them. And that's why it's great to have you on here because people watch the draft. They see these guys get drafted, but they might not know the backstories to them or what they might bring to the table when the season starts. But to do that, we, of course, have to start with what happened in the first round and some of the chaos that ensued based on what happened with Laramie Tunzel, the offensive tackle from Ole Miss, who arguably had one of the worst draft days. Whoever has it in for this gentleman really did their due diligence by hacking into his accounts before the draft started, really just minutes before the draft started. The Ravens, even though they haven't really been the best judges of, say, character with some of the players they've had on their teams, both by the name of Ray, they passed on him. He goes to the Dolphins, which in a way is a little ironic based on what happened with Dan Marino and how he kind of fell down the draft a little bit because of that scandal that he had going on back in the 80s. Have you ever seen anything like this happen with the draft? And how much value on the other side of the coin do you think the Dolphins were able to get with that pick? Yeah, I mean, if you if you remove the dressing of the difference between, say, it happening right off the bat at the, as this draft, as soon as it started, and the fact that an account got hacked to spread that and make it a viral issue online right at the top of the draft, that's different window dressing than, say, what happened with Warren Sapp before the draft. Sure. But certainly Sapp was a surefire top five, top ten pick who fell because of 
um, because of the drug um, usage rumors and things like that. So it's not, it's just a different flavor of what happened and it's a even more devious one and really dirty pool that we're probably going to see again, um, unfortunately, um, down the line because of the fact that it was effective for people to be able to do something like this. Right. But I thought that Tunsil, I thought Tunsil also was refreshingly honest. And I know that some people say, well, that hurt the NCA, you know, that hurt old, old miss in a sense, but it, it really didn't, you know, maybe, well, it didn't in the sense that maybe they will investigate things that give it a second or third look, but they were already concluding their investigation. Um, and probably what he revealed wasn't anything new to anyone. It just, it, the whole thing of happening real time, the way that it did was unfortunate, but I, I admire the fact that he was honest. He didn't throw anybody under the bus. He pretty much just answered. Yes, I did this. Yes, I did that. Right. And that was me. And look, it takes a man to own up to that type of thing. And unfortunately in society, we want people who to be, you know, full grown men and women to do things like that. But at the same time, we're also advising them to obfuscate this truth and try and deny, 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 and, and drag things on um, because it's legally convenient for them in some regards or PR convenient for them. So I was actually pretty pleased to see someone own own up the way that he did. On the field, though, what type of impact do you think he'll have now protecting Ryan Tannehill, who could definitely use it, having a successful season at quarterback for Miami? Yeah, I think he's going to be great. I think he's a he's a strong prospect who I think is going to do a is going to do a fine job. It may take him a year to get adjusted, um, but I think more. You know, you look at someone like Jake Matthews with the Atlanta Falcons, who I don't think was as good of a prospect as Tunzel was. Um, and it took it, it took Matthews a year to really get acclimated, but he held his own. And I think that I think that you're going to get the same out of Tunzel. Um, it'll take him a year, but he'll do all right. And there's certainly a lot of weapons in Miami for um, Tannehill to distribute the ball. So it's not like he's going to have to, you know, hang back there and wait for things to come open. And so it's a it's a good fit. And Miami got a steal, and Baltimore actually choked on this pick, if you ask me, because they were so worried about what the fallout from Ray Rice and how that looked right. that they that as soon as that they saw this, they didn't do their due diligence or didn't have the time to discover that this was a three-year-old video from what I understand. Right. Um, and, and what happened there was kind of old news. You know, if they had, if they had been more technically savvy and also maybe not so um, twice shy from a PR standpoint, they would have been able to, to take a much better player than what they wound up with in Ronnie Stanley. Videos just have not been good to the Baltimore Ravens the past couple of years. We can just put it at that if you want to look at it in that way. We had the two quarterbacks going as the first two picks. We basically knew this going in. Jared Goff to the L.A. Rams. Carson Wentz to the Philadelphia Eagles. Both teams trade up to get there, and both teams' hopeful aspirations to have these guys as their franchise quarterbacks in the future, potentially as early as this season, which is something that it seems like the Rams are shooting for with Jared Goff. What are some of the things that you've seen from him on film and how he might be able to have some success in the National Football League? Yeah, I think I think Goff is the best quarterback in this class, and it was good that the Rams picked him first overall. I, what a lot of people say is that this quarterback class isn't as good as the last as last year's class or or even the past few years. Um, I would say that it's it's a different class. 
And in some ways, it's a better class. And one of those ways it's a better class is that the middle tiers of this class has a lot of promising players who could develop into um, competent starters down the line if the NFL made it a practice to actually develop guys and let them sit or give them a little bit of playing time here and there and be a little bit more patient with them as the new CBA should dictate them to be able to. Um, But in Goff's case, you know, what I think is, you know, a lot of people look at Goff and say he's not good as good as maybe Winston or Mariota. I would argue that Goff, that if I had my choice to pick any of those three quarterbacks, I would give Goff the slightest edge over Winston. Um, and I like Winston a lot as a player on the field. Goff is a extremely accurate passer who throws, um, who's not um, concerned or, you know, how I put it, he has excellent pass placement in the intermediate and deep area of the field. He's willing to squeeze the ball into tight areas of the field, even though, um, and do it with, with enough accuracy that it's a very confident, well-placed throw that um, projects well for the NFL game where he's going to have to do that as opposed to in the college game where a lot of quarterbacks get credit for what I call general general accuracy, which is getting it in the area and the receiver can go up and get it or throwing it to a wide-open man. Goff already makes NFL-caliber throws. The best thing that he does is read pre-snap to post-snap very quickly, make the adjustment, and find the easy throw. And then on top of that, he's an excellent player against pressure who will, you know, will take the hits. But more importantly, he's good at making those small steps to avoid pressure at the last moment and still be in a position to reset and fire with accuracy. There's a lot of quarterbacks who are considered good prospects who can avoid pressure, but there are a few quarterbacks at this stage of their careers who can avoid pressure, reset, and throw accurately in the short, intermediate, and deep ranges of the field, and Goff does that. He's He doesn't get credit for being as good of a quarterback because, one, decision-makers who look at first-round quarterbacks are really looking at bullet points that are PR-friendly, like, sure. oh, wins, um, yards, right. um, you, you know, awards, and things like that. And really what he did is he took a team that sucked I mean, a horrible team, and took it to a bowl game over the course of four, three years, and and so, and then when you look at the reaction that he had in the in with his team when he was drafted one overall, um, he's to a man they say that he is probably the most popular player in his locker room. Um, it crosses all boundaries and and classifications of people who are in there. Um, he's a humble guy. He's a hard worker. And he's someone that I think is going to really be in a great opportunity with the Rams because of the fact that they have a terrific running back and a good defense. Um, that's on, and those two areas are only going to get better. And they're trying to supply them with receivers who are going. They're going to turn over this roster because Britt's on his last, final year. Um, you know, Brian Quick hasn't really worked out. He's in his final year. Tavon Austin is pretty much a gadget player. We figured this out, right. and they've basically gotten enough guys that are going to be more of a match for what golf does well. And I think that even if they don't, some of those guys don't work out. They're going to keep working on getting guys that they can develop with golf, and it's a it's a promising situation, if you ask me. Yeah, he'll definitely 
be beloved in LA just because he's going to be that new face of the franchise that they've a lot of people have so desperately wanted to come back. So it's a great situation for him to go into. We're on the opposite side of the coin. Carson Wentz is going to this hostile fan base who are really disinterested in what Sam Bradford has had to say for him, perhaps wanting to be traded because they did draft a quarterback number two. So he's potentially going to be fighting for that starting position. What have been some of the things you've seen from a kid from North Dakota State that not a lot of people knew of before the draft had come, whereas he might be able to also have some success in the NFL? And if not, was it a good decision for the Eagles to have paid so much money for two quarterbacks in the offseason and then draft one right out of the gate? Yeah, I mean, here's the deal. What what that, that latter statement you just made should tell you right off the bat that this this front office and coaching staff – wasn't on the same page. Very much like how the Cleveland Browns, um, you know, did a expensive study on quarterbacks that they hired consultants to do, and the and the report came back for them to draft Teddy Bridgewater, and they ended up drafting Johnny Manziel. Right. And it was an owner, and it was an owner facilitated decision, much like how the owner of the of the Tennessee Titans chose Vince Young when Jeff Fisher and the scouts wanted Jay Cutler. So when you look at those two situations, those situations, you can look, see a lot of similarities with the Eagles, especially when GM Howie Roseman explained a year ago at the Sloan conference at MIT for analytics, that when teams trade up to, to get a player more often than not, historically, they are the loser in that deal. And then this year, a year later, he's the he's the part of the team that's trading up to get a player. Um, so right off the bat, that should tell you that he had to go against his philosophy. Why would he go against his philosophy unless either Carson Wentz is a great player or that the owner wanted Carson Wentz? And, um, you know, when you look at the fact that they're kind of in a messed up situation because like you said about Bradford, they're not going to trade him because it's a matter of finances. His contract is worth double what it will be next year. Sure. So it'll be much easier to trade him next year. But with Wentz, when it comes to what he has to offer, if you, he's a guy that if you sit him and let him really get acclimated to a new town, because here's a guy who, I mean, Here's a guy who, like, it seems like every word out of his mouth is, here's what we do in North Dakota. In North Dakota, we do this. Right. Back in North Dakota, you know, and that's not a bad thing, but it can be annoying to guys who, you know, who are veterans, who are mature, and who don't want to hear about their, their leader always comparing, you know, Philadelphia with North Dakota. He's got to get over that. It's just a little maturity thing, but he's got to kind of get used to being in a different place. He's got to grow up a little bit because that's generally what happens when you're 22, 23 years old. You got to do that. You've got to get used to living on your own and being and having a lot of money and being how to manage all of those things, including the expectations that um, you're now on a professional team. And these are men with families who don't care about school spirit or team spirit. They care about whether or not we're going to win and they're going to get paid and how much. And, and so he's in addition to that, he also has to work on what's really most important, which is he doesn't recognize easy opportunities and top quarterbacks in this league. Um, they, it's not how good they are at making the difficult plays. 
It's how consistent they are at finding easy plays in difficult situations. And Wentz doesn't do that well. He, he has control. He had control of his offense. He could set protections. He may have even done a little bit more and was in an offense that was a little more pro-friendly than what Jared Goff saw. But see, the thing is, is that Jared Goff could find the easy opportunity. Carson Wentz, he could look to the side where his first read was and miss pre-snap that he had a huge matchup advantage with a slot receiver and he would end up throwing the ball into bracketed coverage because that was his first read, ignoring the easy opportunity. He also has issues where, you know, his feet aren't up to speed with what his eyes are doing. And as a result, he can throw the ball from awkward angles and end up throwing it with um, not as much accuracy as he should. When it's his first read, he has pinpoint accuracy up to 25 yards with great power on his throws. Um, he's, an, he's impressive athletically, but quarterback isn't an athletic position in the way that it's athletic. It can be an athletic position. You know, Russell Wilson plays it that way, but he's also a very brainy quarterback. First and foremost, it's a, it's about having a fast processor of information, both acting within the structure of the play and being able to process information fast when the play breaks down. And, and Wentz doesn't quite have as fast of a processor as he needs right now. And hopefully it'll come with time. And if it does, I think that he can be a very good um, starting quarterback in this league. And from what I've seen, he's a pretty heady, calm, composed, learn from his mistakes in game type of player. It's just that, you know, he needs more, he needs to add a little bit more processing power and knowledge to his game and recognize things a little bit better. Some of that will come, but if it doesn't all come, then he might be a player who's a good starter, but teams will always be wishing they could find something a little bit better. The lights are certainly going to be bright in Philadelphia, as they usually are. Where the lights are also a little bit brighter is in Dallas. There's a team that the fans are are just clamoring to find some success. They thought they might have had it last year. They draft Ezekiel Elliott with the fourth pick, which raised some eyebrows. And even raised some eyebrows after the draft when Jerry Jones said he was actually looking to trade up to get Paxton Lynch as another backup quarterback and knock something out again in the first round. Do you think it was a good move for them to go running back instead of maybe trying to fill some holes that they might have on their defensive end, though they did do that a little bit as the draft went on? Were you surprised that they won Ezekiel Elliott? John, I was pleasantly surprised that they went with Ezekiel Elliott, and I'll tell you why. It's conventional wisdom to say, let's fill the holes that we have on defense because we need to fix our weaknesses. Sure. But think about, think about really what makes people successful, individuals successful. It's about playing to your strengths. And if your strengths are so much better than other people's strengths, um, even where your weaknesses lie, it can help cover up your weaknesses. So think about it this way. You've got Tony Romo, who is still a very good NFL quarterback, who is nearing the end of his career. He has maybe another two, three years left at most. Then you got Des Bryant, who is in his prime. Jason Witten is year to year. This offensive line is the best in the league, but the way that free agency works, how long is that unit going to stay together? Right. So you have you have all the components to be a dominant offense if you could just find a running back 
who you don't have to take off the field. Because if you can keep that running back on the field, down after down after down, you are much better and have a much better chance of being a balanced unit that forces defenses to second-guess itself with formation changes on down and distance situations. You're harder to scout because personnel doesn't tip off what you do when you change your running back from down to down to down. So that makes your offense much stronger. And if that, and it creates a balance that's much more difficult for defenses to defend. And if you can stay on the field as an offense as a result of that balance, then you can get early leads. It helps your defense play from a position of strength. It keeps them off the field. And suddenly your defense isn't as such of much of a liability as it was because they're not exposed. So Ezekiel Elliott does that potentially for the Cowboys um, because of the fact that, again, he's going to stay on the field. He is he is really Darren McFadden and Alfred Morris combined. He has that he has McFadden's. He's not quite as fast as McFadden, but he has much. He has closer to that speed than Morris does. He's a more rugged player than McFadden, more like Alfred Morris, who's patient and can change direction well and read blocks and set them up regardless of the scheme. Um, and he's also a very good pass protector, and he's a receiver out of the backfield who's nearly as good as McFadden in that regard, if not better. And so you have a guy who who can beat you for 30, 40 yard gains. You also have a guy who can get you those tough yards and he's been a guy who is adept at running every type of blocking scheme that's available, which is actually rare for running backs. And it's a big reason why a lot of running backs don't succeed as much at the NFL. They did in the college game because they're not used to playing in those new, in, in something new that's thrown at them. So, when I look at this, I think this was a terrific pick. I didn't think that the Cowboys would do it, but I'm very happy they did because they recognize that that really age is an animal that's coming at them right now as a team, and they're in the gladiator arena, and they had a choice. They could have gone defense, meaning they could have picked up a shield, or they could have gotten, or they could have picked up that rock to sharpen that broadsword they had, and they decide they're going to grab that broadsword with two hands, sharpen it to a fine point, and be able to slay the monster. And I think that that's what they're aiming for here, and that's better than trying to pick up a shield and when really it's not even an adequate one. Because what are you going to do with three to four rookies? Are you really going right. to get three to four? Lawrence Taylor's in the draft. Are you ever going to get a Lawrence Taylor in the draft? Jalen Smith is a great player and he may play next year, but you know, and he may get everything back. And I think he probably will, but he's not going to change that defense. And by the time Tony Romo um, retires. Right. And that's a pretty good analogy. Jerry Jones, pretty much pulling the, are you not entertained to the rest of the teams in the NFL draft, taking Ezekiel Elliott, Another team that might be fun to watch, and I guess we really have to give them their due, is the Jacksonville Jaguars. From what they were able to do in the offseason as far as bringing in some players, of course they had the money to pay them, but still decent players on both offense and defense now. And they take Jalen Ramsey with the fifth pick, who was arguably one of the best players on the board. And they also end up getting Miles Jack in the second round to, again, strengthen what they have already working for them. Do you think these moves that they've made can make the Jaguars turn some heads now in 2016 and perhaps make them a really decent contender in the National Football League? Yes, it can, because 
what you have is um what you have is some some astute free agent moves paired with um an excellent opening set of picks in the draft um you, you know they already their offense already started clicking you can see that Blake Bortles after a first um year where he struggled down the stretch because he was playing with an offensive coordinator who in Jed Fish who is a very brilliant mind for offense but had been known at least thus far early in his career as someone who's very inflexible about making any concessions to young players. It, it, it was too confusing for Bortles, and he had some setbacks. They simplified the offense. They got rid of Fish, and he became much better. He has young, talented receivers. He's got a he's got a talented back in Yeldon, and then they added the veteran um, Ivory, so that they're going to have some redundancy there um, in the running game. That's going to be helpful, and this is going to be this is going a long way towards being a balanced offense. So they're in a good position to add a little more to that defense and and help out there. And I think that you know getting the Fowler back, you know, who should be healthy and ready to go on the outside, and then you add Miles Jack, who's arguably the best player in this draft who fell because again, teams are risk management oriented with their first round right. and my, and injury is one of those issues where they don't feel comfortable saying our first pick overall is a guy who we don't know is going to play long enough, um, who has some issues here and there because it becomes a big PR issue for them. Whereas the second round it's, it's deemed an okay risk, but Jack's going to be fine for a few years at least, and he could have a 10-year career and be one, a, a terrific player. So they got two of the best players in the draft in the opening two rounds, and then they even followed with a guy by the name of Tyrone Holmes, who was a, a past rusher um, and probably one of the better um, prospects at defensive end in a weak defensive end class, but he's someone who can rush off the edge, who could be um, a sneaky good player so they they are definitely a team to watch out for now that the dust has settled a little bit we know in the nfl that there's those handful of teams that always seem to be at the top of their division and we'll probably see come playoff time and that seems to be something that won't change too drastically coming into this season but are there a couple teams that in your mind won the draft, if you will, or really made a positive impact and filled the holes that they needed to fill that can really come out starting the season and be a lot better than they were last year based on what they were able to do in the draft? Well, I think that teams will be moderately better. And one of the teams that I think will be moderately better, which will mean they can be, they could possibly win their division and have home field advantage in the playoffs. From and, and or instead of being a team that just missed the playoffs, would be the Minnesota Vikings. Because when you look at the past few drafts, they've put together a, a defense that is getting better, that has some really key talents there who can rush the passer and cover in the back end, uh, cover in the middle of the field. And they've got some young corners who, if they can hit their stride and, and make some um, development developmental leaps this year, this could be a really strong defense. And then you have Teddy Bridgewater, who's actually played very well, considering the, that he has played with offensive lines that have been decimated. Horrendous. And, and Yeah, they've been horrendous. And this is a guy that hasn't gotten hurt. He's taken his shots. He was very good as a rookie with a lot of you know what he was able to do. But they 
they didn't have a great match for what he does well as a deep passer. Because Mike Wallace is a good deep target if you throw it and let him run under it. But he's not as good of a guy who's going to go up and rip it away from you. Right. And he also, he's not also a fully dimensional receiver. And they need some of that. So they got that Laquan Treadwell. Treadwell is, you know, I compared him to Michael Irvin. And apparently Michael Irvin came out after the draft and, compared, and said he sees himself he sees himself in Laquan Treadwell. So, the, you know, this is a guy that, you know, North Turner got for a reason. He's physical. He's big. He'll help in the run game. He will also be a red zone threat, and that helps Stefan Diggs as well. So now they've got at least two receivers who can offer big plays, and then you have the offensive line that is healthy. You also have Alex Boone added to the mix, um, the San Francisco um, guard. So now you've, you've shored up that offensive line, hopefully, as long as they can stay healthy. And that could really help this offense make enough strides that the defense becomes even more formidable. Um, so I really think that that's the team that you want to watch out for. Now to close here, I know how engrossed you are with fantasy football. Besides guys like Ezekiel Elliott that we know will probably have a pretty big impact as far as fantasy football is concerned, are there a couple skill position guys that Maybe we should look out for if we're doing fantasy football, we might want to go after based on what they'll do next year. Yeah, absolutely. There are a number of guys, but um, you know, I'm going to give you some, I'm going to give you guys from a variety of spots where you would be picking. Obviously Ezekiel Elliott one is one of them. Um, I would keep an eye on Kenneth Dixon in Baltimore. If he can keep his pads lower so that when he's making second and third efforts so that he doesn't um, incur fumbles, he's a quite a versatile player who could really be a boon to the Ravens if he can beat out Trent Richardson and, and Justin Forsett. To me, he's a bigger, quicker, um, more creative version of Justin Forsett. Um, when, and, and I think that that's, that bodes well. Um, another way of putting this is that maybe he's a, he's a poor man's Marshall Falk. Um, but, uh, you know, Keith Marshall, who was a seventh-round pick, it could push Matt Jones for playing time. He'd definitely be worthwhile taking a look at right away because if it weren't for the knee injury, this is a guy who, you know, he and he and Todd Gurley were neck and neck for playing time in their freshman year. A lot of people thought he was better. I don't think he is, but I but that doesn't make him a bad prospect. It makes him a guy who probably would have went second or third round if he never had the ACL tear. Right. Um, and and the speed's there. He's faster than Gurley. Um, a guy, you know, a wide receiver, you know, a lot of people are kind of shying away from Leontay Carew. And if you're in a dynasty league, I'd take him because I think that um, he could wind up being the best receiver of Devontae Parker and um, Jarvis Landry um, because he does it all. And I think that he's a player that the, the Dolphins fell in love with and they they felt like they had to go get him even though they got Parker and and Landry. You got to remember, Parker had to play a lot from the slot last year because he couldn't separate from coverage off the line of scrimmage. He didn't do well against press at Louisville, and he didn't do well early on in his career. And he might be one of those guys that doesn't realize that he can't just lean on his athletic ability, which is glorious, but he, you know, he's going to have to get better. And and Landry isn't an outside player; he's a slot guy purely. Carew can do both, and he's a great route runner and is skilled in tight coverage off off press coverage. Um, 
So I think he could be the star, the straw that stirs the drink there. Um, obviously, you know, a sneaky good guy is Mike Thomas with the Rams, who I think is, you know, one of the best players fighting for the ball, winning the ball in the air that that I've seen in college football. Um, he's he's very very adept at it. And then I would say the tight ends normally don't do well right off the bat. I mean, so normally don't do well that the last, you know, the last guy who really was like a big time player at the tight end position. And I'm not talking Hernandez or Rob Gronkowski. Those guys were really good. And if you paired them together, they would have equaled Mike Ditka. So I'm talking about, you don't have, you rarely see it if at all. Right. But I think Austin Hooper of Stanford is in a situation where the Falcons need him to succeed, and he has the skill sets and the match for that offense to come in there right away and provide at least maybe low tight end one production as a rookie. And that's difficult to have happen. But they they have one player right now in Julio Jones, Roddy White. Roddy White is no longer the route runner he was because of his ankle and um, foot issues. Um, so he's, you know, that was, that's no longer, they don't have that player who they can go to that way. You know, Hardy, Justin Hardy is, is mainly a slot player who can't, who doesn't seem to be able to separate well. Um, and they haven't been able to find a guy opposite Julio Jones. So Hooper's a guy they can split from the formation who has enough skills, a blocker already to at least be decent on outside zone runs. And he's going to be good. He's good at, winning plays and tight coverage and being able to go up between guys and rebound. And he's going to be an option in the red zone this year. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if he has a season that surprises people. Definitely a lot to think about, especially once these players start hitting the field. How can people get their hands on your rookie scouting portfolio? Because from what you've been kind of leaning toward, I guess that's probably coming out within the next couple of days. Sure. Well, you can download the pre-draft of the RSP at mattwaldman.com. You can just go directly there. You can read more about it and see videos that show you what it looks like and everything. And I'll sample my work at mattwaldmanrsp.com. Um, and remember, when you buy the pre-draft RSP, it also comes with the post with a login to get the post draft RSP, and that's no extra charge. And that, that post draft RSP will go be out no later than Friday, and it's also available at mattwaldman.com. When you buy the when you purchase the login that you create, um, you will get an email being told that that's that the post draft's available, and you'll be able to download load the pre draft right now. Which most of my readers tell me is actually um, more valuable than the post-draft because they find themselves looking at it three, four, or five years from now um, just to see about players who are available on waiver wires and or new players that join their team if they're draft nicks. I've had people in the NFL tell me that they find it valuable for being able to look at players and what, you know, kind of their histories and things like that as well. So it's a, you know, definitely something that I'd encourage you to look at and, you can always email me at mattwaldmanrsp at gmail or mattwaldmanrsp at gmail dot com um, if you have any questions about it. Excellent. I will put 
all that information in my show notes. I'll let people know where they can follow you on Twitter because I know you're always throwing out videos and information throughout the entire year on what's going on. And Football Guys, of course, is a great resource for fantasy football. I often use it to throw my team in just to get a better gauge on the draft. A lot of great resources you've got for us. And Matt, I want to thank you for coming on the program, educating us a little bit on the draft, and maybe down the road we can talk a little bit about fantasy football before the season starts. Sure, John. It was a pleasure. I appreciate you having me on. And again, that was Matt Waldman. He is the creator of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. Copious amounts of information there that you can find through his website. He's also a staff writer for footballguys.com. They've got a ton of great information, especially if you're interested with fantasy football, and you can give him a follow on Twitter at Matt Waldman. That's M-A-T-T-W-A-L-D-M-A-N. That's going to do it for The Bridge. You can listen to this episode and all previous episodes of The Bridge on my website at londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle, at London Bridge. You can follow me on iTunes and get updated whenever a new episode of The Bridge is released by searching The Bridge Sports Podcast or by searching for John Lund under artists. If you have an Android phone, you can also subscribe to The Bridge on the Stitcher app. On the next episode of The Bridge, we can touch on an array of topics. The NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, the MLB season is starting to pick up steam, and who knows, we could be talking about the NFL or whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve. On The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports.